With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Back. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Back. And we are back. Crossover NBA podcast, Chris Maddox and Howard Beck. I am at an undisclosed location this week, Howard, working on a magazine story. Uh, you, as I sit here staring at the Zoom screen, look like you're coming back from a concert, or I, I don't know. what What is on your t-shirt right now? What am I looking at? The Shins. The uh, Shins. I don't know what that is. Great band. Haven't seen them. You don't know who the Shins are? I don't. I'm New not... Slang. I'm not a music connoisseur. I'm not. I like this isn't like this is this does not require connoisseurship to know who the shit is. That a word? You just have to is be like word? if you were even moderately paying attention to the radio in like the mid 2000s. Do you remember the movie Garden State? Yes, Zach Braff. Zach Braff. Yeah. Of, yes, Natalie Portman. Scrubs fame. Love Natalie. And Natalie Portman. Portman. Yes, that big was, Natalie so, Portman fan. Phenomenal soundtrack, and it was when the Shins basically broke through to the mainstream with a song called New Slang. It's in a key scene where Natalie Portman's listening on her headphones. Zach Braff's character says, oh, what are you listening to? She says, have you heard of the Shins? He says, no. She goes, listen to this. It's gonna, it'll change your life. And then he puts it on, and, and it's playing New Slang. It does change your life. It changed my life. Uh, I, I'm just sorry that you could not have uh, had your world changed. By you know, I was, I was at a coffee shop next to Natalie Portman in like the early 2000s, and... Uh could not at that time muster up any kind of courage to say anything to her. 
Like nothing. I was on a cross. Ken Berger and I were on a cross country flight with her. I remember this because the two of us, being the doofuses that we are, couldn't shut up about it for the next three days. Like, dude, remember when we saw Natalie Portman on the flight from JFK to LA the other day? It was like, I think during one of those Lakers Celtics finals. And um, yeah, we were like just sitting there, like, you know, giddy little teenagers or something. Like, ooh, Natalie Portman's on the flight with us. I sat on, this is like, you know, <laughs> the random tales of travel. I sat on a cross country flight from New York to LA. Next to Katie Holmes, next to her, the entire time, and I, I forget if I, I either I didn't either I didn't look to my left to see who was sitting next to me, or I, I think it was more like she was wearing like a hat and, and like looked almost unrecognizable. Oh wait, so you didn't know the whole time? I didn't know till we got till we like started to land. I didn't know, <sighs> and I'm like, oh, major holy family. shit, that's Katie Holmes. Not that I would have said anything anyway at that point. Like, I would just, <laughs> like hey. How was Dawson's? <laughs> I was uh, I, I have several of these. We will, we don't need to bore people with our entire tales of like. But I was on a flight from. There was the Delta shuttle from Boston back to New York once with Leonard Nimoy. Yes, Mr. <laughs> we should do a. Podcast I grew up a on huge Star Trek guy. Love Leonard. Of course Nimoy. you did. Of course you and did. Of course I did. I'm a dork. What do you want? Um, <laughs> but I got the I got the bump that day. Right. I got the bump to first class because you can always get the bump on the shuttle. It's a, it's a, it's, you know, there's a bazillion of these flights, but I don't get the, I don't get the first class bump that often, but I was in first class and I had sat down and here's Leonard Nimoy who's, you know, older and he's Leonard freaking Nimoy. And I watched him walk back to, you know, further back. And I'm like, well, this, this is, this feels wrong. I should not be in first class when Leonard Nimoy is in coach. I should have swapped seats with him. If I were a better person, I would have done that. Uh, that that's no, I wouldn't. I just wanted that. my ex. <laughs> it was my only brush with uh with star trek fame was uh was that flight with leonard nimoy on it i have also by the way i won't say which neighborhood because i don't i don't know if he's uh doing this on a regular i've twice seen alec baldwin in a particular area of of, of brooklyn uh within the last few months i don't know why um but it, it that's it's a very strange Strange one to see like twice, right? I always just think of him as he's a big Manhattan. I think he's Upper West Side or something. So um, I don't know what Alec Baldwin's doing hanging out in Brooklyn, but uh, you know, welcome to Brooklyn. Yeah, my, my my stories are better. I had two opportunities to <laughs> to ask out either Natalie Portman or Katie Holmes, and I whiffed on both of them. Yeah. <laughs> that, those are my chances. Phenomenal. <laughs> All right. Uh, I don't know how you transition to what we're going to be talking about today, but the it's, trade deadline. Speaking speaking of missed opportunities, yes, your segue. there it is. Good segue, Beck. Speaking of missed opportunities, <laughs> the trade deadline is just over a month away, and things are starting to crystallize a little bit in the NBA. You're starting to see teams that look like they absolutely need to make a deal. You're starting to see teams materialize that look like they absolutely need to be, you know, talking about deals, selling. So we're going to get into some of those teams on this episode. But Howard, we have to begin, as is often the case, with the Los Angeles Lakers, who, as we record this on Monday, have won five games in a row. Uh, LeBron James, 38 years old, playing out of his mind, coming off of December where he averaged uh, 30 points per game. Uh, on sa- Saturday against Sacramento, he had, what, 35, I think it was, 34 against the Kings in a winning effort, second game of a back-to-back. He's got a banged-up ankle, He's but he's still playing 35, 40 minutes some nights. He's just doing things that 38-year-old NBA players should not be doing. And the Lakers are winning, you know, five-game winning streak, and 
Anthony Davis' return is just around the corner. And LeBron continues to put out the proverbial bat signal that the Lakers need to make moves. He's been doing this for months now. You know, you go back to the start of the season when he made kind of this passive-aggressive plea for shooting when he said, we don't have a lot of lasers on this team. You go back just a week or so ago when, after a loss to Miami, LeBron said, I don't want to be playing at this level team-wise for the rest of my career. And just after the game against Sacramento, our favorite Northern California resident, Sam Amick, over at The Athletic, he sidled up to LeBron, had a brief conversation with him, and in talking about you know the Lakers and you know their obligation, perhaps, to to make deals, LeBron said something to the effect of, y'all know what should be happening out there, implying that, yes, the Lakers should be proactive in trying to upgrade the roster uh, before the deadline. So here we are with the Lakers, where even with this five-game winning streak, they are still, as we record this, on the outside of the play-in looking in. Um, but they're playing good basketball. Anthony Davis is presumably going to be back. You know, Kendrick Nunn has a pulse. Russell Westbrook is looking like, at least according to odds makers, a sixth man of the year candidate. Um, I, I guess I'll frame the question this way. Uh, is LeBron right at this point? Do the Lakers need to be aggressive in terms of adding talent in the next month? Yeah, and you know that my question, my answer to that question would have been yes every week of the season. Um, and I think even, and obviously I wrote about this at length um, in late December uh, in a story titled Waste Management. Uh, kudos to our editors for a phenomenal headline. Um, yes, every single day I would say yes, they need to make a deal when LeBron's playing at this level because otherwise you were possibly wasting what is left of of his, whatever this is, his late prime, his uh, late uh, career revival, his whatever it is. He's not just playing at a great level, by the way, for a 38-year-old. He's playing better than most of the 20-something guys in the NBA. Ridiculous. He's a top Ridiculous. 10 to top 15 player at minimum right now. I got all this like clap back on Twitter when I wrote that piece and then said in my tweet promoting that story, I said something like he's playing at an MVP level. Like, he's playing at an MVP level. Like I'm not saying he's an actual MVP candidate because the Lakers record is what it is. But I mean... There are only two guys in the NBA averaging at least 29 points, eight rebounds, six assists. Him and Luka, who, by the way, everybody talks about as an MVP caliber player. If you want to drop that to 25 points, but still keep in the eight and the six, the eight rebounds, six assists, you can add Jokic and Siakam to that discussion. He's just playing at an incredibly, incredibly high level. People are going to talk about his efficiency real quick. I just want to note, because I just I looked it up again this morning, his effective field goal percentage it's not great for by LeBron standards. It's 554. But that's actually a couple points higher than what he had in 2019-20 when they won the championship. It's a couple points higher than what they had what he had in 2015-16 when he won a championship with Cleveland. It's the same effective field goal percentage as he had in 2011-12 when he won a championship. So, yeah, LeBron's playing at a really really high level right now. His PER for what PER is worth, flawed as it may be as a metric, he's 12th in the NBA. In PER. So you've won five games in a row now, Lakers. I think this is actually putting the Lakers in a very awkward spot. I'm not saying that the Lakers would actually root for the to, to lose, but it was taking the pressure off on a little bit, easing it off on ownership in the front office. 
Because if they looked unsalvageable, oh, we can't win anyway. We're a, we're a bazillion games out. Anthony Davis is out for weeks. We can't possibly save this. We can't spend those future picks just to try to save a, a season that's not savable. Well, five straight wins without Anthony Davis, LeBron playing at maybe even a higher level now than he was in December because he was just coming back from injury then. Now they look viable, not viable enough with this cast. Now, but I think this win, the winning is putting more pressure on that front office and more pressure on ownership to say, you do need to sacrifice some measure of your future draft capital to win now. Because what they're showing right now is with a little extra help, they can be back in the mix. And I'll say this, because Zach Lowe and I went back and forth about this last week on his pod and mine. It's it's not just giving the Lakers a quote-unquote puncher's chance, which was the, the phrase that, that Zach used in the knockdown. It's not that. It's that if I'm looking at LeBron and Anthony Davis playing at this level, the level Anthony Davis was at before he got hurt, the level LeBron is at right now, can they sustain it? Can they stay healthy? Fair questions. But if they're at that level, Chris, is there a one-two punch on any Western Conference team that is better than LeBron and AD at their at their best this season? Like, Jokic and which M- Nugget, Luka and which Maverick, Steph, all due respect, and which Warrior mm-hmm. with Steph? Because you've got good, but not, not LeBron and AD level. The Suns, the Grizzlies. Suns are like, a mess. A, the Suns are a mess. The Grizzlies, like Ja and Jaron Jackson Jr., phenomenal one-two punch. Ja and Bane, but still, like LeBron and AD at their best is still the best one-two punch in the West, and I'll, I'll say yes, better than Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, who almost never play basketball anymore. So th- this is a good point. This is what part of what I raised in, in my column on SI.com on Monday. Like, you know, LeBron's not waking up every morning, looking up at the standings, thinking, boy, Denver's unbeatable. Man, we can't get past Memphis. Those Pelicans, they're feisty. Like, those are the top three teams in the Western Conference right now. Now you look down, and yeah, the Clippers, everybody's healthy. They're an unknown. Warriors... They'll get their shit together over the next couple of months. Um, but this is not a year where there's an alpha out there. And you can't tell me that LeBron's not sitting there going, you just give me a little bit of help and me, AD, you know, Russ off the bench, we can beat anybody that's out there. So th- that's number one. Um, I don't look at this as being a front office decision because – and I, I'm not basing this on anything, but I just can't believe that Rob Palenka is sitting there thinking about the Lakers' long-term future. Because what are the odds that Rob Palenka is part of the Lakers' long-term future if they don't get their act together over the next couple of years? I mean, what's more likely in 2027? Rob Palenka is using that draft pick that the Lakers have or... He's like organizing a Fab Five reunion or something. Like I, it, it, it just, he's got to find a way to win. And the Lakers are you know, famously loyal to to people, so maybe he's going to keep his job forever. I don't know. But Rob Plank is going to be looking at this going, We got to make a deal. Like we got to find a way to add to this roster. This feels to me like it's becoming like LeBron v. Bus and the Bus family and ownership at that level because. And I I wrote this. I can see the bus's point about not wanting to give away too much draft capital. The Lakers are still going to exist when LeBron James is gone. And as a functioning franchise, if you're rebuilding, it's good to have first-round draft picks. So 
you know, it's, I understand an argument against trading those picks, but I think at this point, Howard, they've got to find a way to split the baby. Like, is it going to cost a first-round draft pick to get Boyan Bogdanovich out of Detroit? Probably. Should the Lakers do it? Probably. Because Bogdanovich on that Laker team, like, he's going to help. He's going to make them a better team. And LeBron will find a way to to maximize his value on the court. Like, I don't know if Christian Wood is the answer, but do you give him a first-round pick in the future to get him? Like, I don't think I I don't think they should ship two first-round picks out for the often discussed and probably not available anymore Miles Turner, Buddy Heald type of situation. I think that's probably too much. But I think you've got to kind of find a middle ground where you give away one of those first-round picks to get a Bogdanovich, to get a Wood, to get someone from the Utah collection of players, whether it's Beasley, Clarkson, Kelly Olynyk, something to juice that roster to give the Lakers a chance because as down as we've been in the Lakers all year long, and I'm not sitting here saying I'm convinced that adding one of those pieces makes them the favorite in the Western Conference. Probably not. But as down as we've been in the Lakers, this is not a a hyper-competitive... I mean, it is competitive, but it is not a two or, or one or two team dominant Western Conference. It's not. Like, you are going to... <clears throat> be in a position to win. If the Lakers get in the playoffs as the number 8 seed or 7 seed, you're telling me they can't win? They can't go to Memphis and win? They can't go to New Orleans and win? They can't go to Denver and win? Of course they can. Like, LeBron is still the the guy you don't want to bet against. And if Davis is capable of coming back and playing at the level he was playing at before he got hurt, look out. Like, that's a good team. So, I think the Lakers got to do something. I don't think they should give up two first-round picks for a middling package, but overpaying with one, that's got to be on the table right now. Yeah, and look, you and I are, are going to go through a list of teams that we think are the most interesting heading into the trade deadline. And part of that discussion, of course, is about teams having to reckon with where they truly are and whether they're buyers or sellers. And we've had a dearth of sellers, I think, up until this point. But every team we talk about, if they're the teams that are on the seller side that's what the Lakers are rooting for right now. Like the there's a like the reason we have to talk about the Lakers aside from LeBron, you know, obviously spouting off to Sam Amick and then somewhat walking it back on Twitter, but like his quotes are like it's obvious what the LeBron is clearly frustrated and wants them to make a move. Like that's that's indisputable and very obvious. Um but every every all roads possibly lead back to the Lakers because if if the Wizards become sellers, if other teams that we'll talk about become sellers, the Lakers need to be in those discussions it is a a horrific irony for the lakers that they are being linked to kyle kuzma who they traded away along (laughs) with the others in the russell westbrook deal like it it would be celebrated and should be if they can somehow get kuzma um who's believed to be available and is a potential free agent this summer or is a free agent this summer and like if you can get him like they should rightfully be praised if they if they add him but man how embarrassing is it that they have to go and spend draft capital to get him when they already had him and 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 they're not, you know, it's not bringing back Contavious Caldwell Pope, and it's not bringing back Alex Caruso, who obviously was not part of that trade, but you know, was sacrificed as part of the, the Westbrook thing. Like, so even that would be bittersweet, but would still be the right move. I don't know if there is a deal that is out there to send out the two picks in tandem or with Westbrook. Uh, again, Zach Lowe made the point. And I think he's right. Westbrook has become so great as a sixth man now and as a playmaker specifically in his sixth man role that if you lose him in a trade, 
you now have a, a deficit of playmaking. So maybe you need a playmaker coming back in any deal as well. But yeah, it's it's become more complicated than than the deal that was on the table that they could have made for Heald and Turner back in the summer and fall. But they got to do something. You cannot, I've said it all along, don't squander another great year of LeBron's career. You don't know if he'll play at this level again next season or the year after. And any deal you make now, it could be for players that you are keeping beyond this season. It's not just all or nothing this season. They could be guys under under multi-year contract or in Kuzma's case, if he's a free agent, you're going to do so with some assurance he's going to want to re-sign, right? That's how it works in this league. I know we have tampering rules and all this other stuff that teams just ignore to the hilt. That's what you do. You ignore it. Oh, Kyle, if we trade for you, are you going to sign, resign with us? Oh, you are? Cool. Let's do the deal. We're not making a deal just for this year. It's for the next few years. So th- there will be options for them. There will be opportunities for them. I'm convinced of that. The real question to me is this, Chris. It's not whether there are deals out there to make. It's whether they're willing to make them, period. It's whether they are willing to part with one or both of those available first-round picks to say that the present and what's left of LeBron's great years is worth investing in. Or are we so worried about the future and a post-LeBron future that that we just can't bring ourselves to part with these picks because that is, is such a hyper-conservative philosophy that you are killing the present for the sake of a completely uncertain future. And you and I covered that at, at length last week. But again, those aren't the only picks they'll have available. They do they don't have all these picks available to trade right now because of other reasons. They do have other first-round picks to build with later should they send out one or both of these picks we've been talking about. So it, the question comes back to over and over and over again, is Lakers ownership and the Lakers front office willing to invest in the in this in the present even if it means sacrificing a little bit of the future and until we know the answer to that question all the hypotheticals are almost irrelevant you know somebody who's hitting me on twitter with well what trade should they make i, I don't know that's not my job that's palinka's job and only rob palinka can make the calls to the other front offices and ask them what they're willing to give up and what it would cost the first question that has to be answered and only the Lakers can answer it is, are they even willing to do a deal at all that costs them future picks? If they are, then you can start talking about what that could get them. Yeah. Um, and that's what we're going to find out sometime in the next month. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that. He is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr. And I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. 
Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game-changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Let's talk now about some of the other teams that are out there. And I want to kind of transition to Washington because that was the first team on my list in terms of teams I think that need to start really getting proactive if they're not already about shaking things up. I saw Washington play over the weekend. Uh, Bradley Beal was not playing, so take that uh, with a grain of salt. But I know they've won some games as of late, but I look at that team and... I see no path to upper-level improvement. I see no way that this group of players is going to rise to a level of being a championship contender in two years, three years. Part of that is because I don't know how many of their young guys can really play. Like, Rui Hashimura's okay. Corey Kispert is okay. Um, you know, Denny Avdia is okay. Um I, I, they're the rookie this year. I, I'm blanking on his name, but like I haven't even seen him play. He's in the G League. Like it, it's just he, the, he doesn't he doesn't play, which is an indictment right there. He doesn't drafting. play. Like you know, and and look, I, I like Porzingis. I think he's kind of revived himself uh, in a way this year in Washington. And Beal Porzingis can be pretty good and has been pretty good at times, but it's not a team that's going anywhere. And you look at Kuzma, and Kuzma's gone. Like he's not coming back next year. Like that's that's not going to happen. Yeah. So. I, I just think if you're the Wizards, you have to be talking to teams about everybody. You have, In a seller's market, you've got to be out there saying to teams, Kyle Kuzma is available. And you know what? I know we've got to have a conversation with Bradley Beal about it, but Bradley Beal should be available too. Like Bradley Beal should be on the market right now because I look at Bradley Beal and still a phenomenal player, phenomenal score, but... His history of injuries, if I'm Tommy Shepard, if I'm the Wizards, I got to be terrified that like he's one bad landing away from the kind of foot injury that 
makes him untradeable over the next couple of years. Like, he's getting up there in age now, still in his prime, but getting up there in age. But, but this feels to me like the year the Wizards need to get proactive with Bradley Beal. We all knew it was coming, whether it was this year, next year. Bradley Beal was probably never going to finish his career in Washington. Got the contract, said all the right things, but I just, this team feels like it's going nowhere. And on a, in a market where there's a lot of teams out there looking to make upgrades, believing that they can be a championship contender, Washington's got to be that seller. They've got to be kind of the Utah Jazz of the East. They've got to like put their guys on the market, whether it's Kuzma, Beal, anybody else out there that's available. Because I, I, I really don't know, Howard, who's a keeper on that team? Who's the long-term guy on that team? You probably want to keep your keep uh, Kispert around. You probably want to keep, you know, obviously Denny around. Do you want to keep the anonymous rookie around <laughs> again? Whatever. Johnny Johnny Davis. Johnny Davis, that's right. <laughs> I was talking to somebody about him last night. I'm just blanking on his name. Um, but... Everybody I was going to say, did the two of you go the entire conversation without either of you knowing his name? You know, the Wizards rookie. You know, the guy. Yeah, the guy. Who but it's play. like we're, we're watching just, you know. Washington play and he's not there. It's like <laughs> this whole thing yeah. is a bit. I, I just don't know what I, I don't know what the plan is if you keep these guys around. Like, what? why? What is the point of keeping these guys around? So Washington is pretty yeah. high on my list of teams that need to get proactive the next month. I, I absolutely agree. It's a conversation we've had before and a conversation I think we've probably had every year for the last however many years, even before you and I were doing this podcast together. Like, this is the perpetual conver- conversation around the Wizards is they're always tr- doing the, the, the treadmill of mediocrity thing. They're always hovering in the middle somewhere, constantly reinvesting in John Wall and then Bradley Beal and then Bradley Beal again and getting nowhere and then not drafting well enough to give themselves a viable path forward. Like, you, you either... Acquire another star, which is very hard to do. Um, you know, they tried, you know, you know, Wall broke down. They swapped Wall for Westbrook. You know, they they swapped Westbrook for what, what we both thought was a great trade for for uh, Kuzma and, and Caldwell Pope and uh, and Harrell. Um, but you're not you're not really moving the ball forward. And then you're drafting. You're never drafting that high. You're drafting in you know middle to late part of the lottery, and like, and you're not doing it well. Like they like a lot of teams. They've missed on a bunch of guys while drafting 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. And so there's no path forward. Um, the extension for Beal remains just baffling beyond belief, both the size of it and the no trade clause. But yeah, look, the Wizards, this season is done. By the way, Bradley Beal has missed 16 of 40 games already. Has a hamstring right now, is out right now, and has missed 16 out of 40 games. Like there's the other problem. You should want to trade him and you should be able to get a boatload back for a player of his caliber. But the longer this goes on, the longer they've held on to him, the longer this injury history builds up. And now the bigger his contract, you would have been better off trading him a year, two, three years ago. Yeah. Right Let me now, tell, like, he's got his, a his value. Massive like, deal. That yeah. contract is, is big. And I was having this conversation with a couple of executives this weekend where it's like, yeah, we love Bradley Beal's game. But the injury history and that big ass contract, that lot of money owed over the next couple days. It's the same thing, and and we'll probably get into this, but the same thing with Zach Levine. Like, Zach Levine is a terrifying player to acquire as well because not only are you talking about a big contract, but you're also talking about a collective bargaining agreement that in a couple of years, nobody knows it's going to look like. And, like, the NBA owners go to the mat for a hard cap, and all of a sudden, you've got a big contract like Beal or Levine on your books that's gobbling up a lot of space. You mean the upper spending limits? Yes, yes, which is another <laughs> fancy way of saying hard cap. 
the USL, as our buddy Mark Stein uh, dubbed it. I do. We need. We do not need any other uh, acronyms, uh, weird phrases. I don't want any more aprons in the CBA. Like, stop. Just, just make this stuff sound like re- remotely like English, please. <laughs> um, no, this, the next the next CBA could have more restrictions in it, but the next CBA you know, dwarfed by the next TV deal, right? Like the cap's going to keep going up. So there's, you could talk yourself into Zach Levine, Bradley Beal will be more affordable in a world where the cap is 150 or something, right? Like you can, you can manage that maybe, but yeah, the combination of massive contract and injury history is scary. And by the way, as much as the Lakers have been said to be holding out for a bigger swing, a bigger name, one, Star chasing is par- partially what got you in this mess. Um, two, I don't think Beal is the answer there. Um, and maybe, you know, if you could guarantee me that, that Bradley Beal or Zach Levine would be healthy, like, okay, those would be nice additions um, firepower-wise and, and just giving you some some offensive versatility and everything, but it's not helping your defense. Um, and they're both huge injury risks with, with big deals. So um, if they're the Wizards, yes. A, you're a seller. B, Everything that's not nailed down should be on the table. I don't see. I don't think there's a single player there that you have to say like this guy is essential to our future. Uh, you gotta you gotta be willing to make any deal that gets you future draft capital and younger players that have higher upside because the guys they have right now j- just aren't leading them anywhere. All right, give me the next team on your list. Washington was at the top of mine. Who's at the top of yours? Well, l- let's just jump to the Bulls because you've already talked about yeah. Zach Levine. Um, the Bulls are fascinating right now because as you and I record this on Monday morning, they've won three in a row and eight of their last 11. So just when everybody was ready to, to bury them, blow up the Bulls, sell off Levine, DeRozan, Vucevic, Caruso, everything, everybody, they've won eight of 11 and it's not a fake eight of 11. In this stretch, they've won, they've beaten the Nets, the Sixers, a decent jazz team, a competitive jazz team, the Heat. The Hawks, you know, the Hawks are goofy, but the Knicks who have been playing well and the Bucks, like they've won eight of 11 with a bunch of quality wins in that last 11. They have the third best overall record in that stretch, the third best offensive uh, rating, the 23rd defense for a, for a nine net rating. Um, so the defense is still crap. Um, but I wonder if this surge is going to take them off the ledge, I, you know, whether it's hope or false hope. Is not clear to me, but it may be giving the Bulls front office the sense that, you know what, we're not sellers. Um, we can ride this out. We can make the playoffs. We can save face with that pick that's going to Orlando uh, as a result of the Vucevic trade. Um, so it's interesting, but I would say this team has already peaked. They peaked last season. I would say that even if they make the playoffs, even if this surge is real, Okay, but what's your what are you topping out at? You're not beating the Bucks, the Celtics, the Nets, or the Sixers in the playoffs. Are you winning a round? I, I don't think you're winning a round. So you could do kind of a soft reset by trading at least one of those guys, Levine or uh or DeRozan or Vucevic. Um, and maybe you trade Caruso too while you're at it. You do, you know, it's a soft reset. It's not a teardown, it's not a blow it up. You're just kind of retooling on the fly, see where it leads you. Um, you know, their risk is this. So Orlando owns their pick this right. year, but it's it's protected one through four. So the odds being what they are these days, like it's it's like there's some risk. And even you know if if you're in that five to ten record range, because you might have like if they had the eighth worst record, let's say, 
there's a 25% chance of it falling in, or dro- uh, jumping up to the top four in the lottery. And then that pick goes away. It goes to Orlando. So like there's some risk in, in, in being in the lottery at all. Um, but they do keep the pick if it ends up top, uh, top four. Um, and so I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, I reversed things in my last statement. If they even had the eighth worst pick, they could lose it if they stay at eight. If they jump to the top four, of which there is a 25% chance, which is a substantial chance, then they might actually keep it. But if you're losing it, you're losing a five through something pick anyway. So I don't know if the pick should be that much of the of this discussion for them. I do think they need to look at, has this team already peaked as built? And this this recent surge notwithstanding, I would I would argue that it that it has. Um, do you want to make one more playoff run, crash and burn again, and then do the retool? You could, uh, but they're in a really interesting spot because they they've won just enough recently to maybe convince them that they should be standing pat instead of selling. Yeah, that Lonzo Ball injury just sucks. Like Lonzo yeah. Ball was so instrumental to what they did in the first half of last season. He was as advertised. A lot of people thought they overpaid for him. He was playmaking. He was scoring. He was defending. Like he was doing def- a lot the of defense. Things. The defense is what mattered most. Point of him attack defense. Together. Yeah, that was a really good defensive backcourt. Um, I-, I don't know what's going on with Lonzo's knee. That just seems like one of the weirder and more serious knee injuries that we've seen in a while. Um, I- I- you certainly can't count on him to come back this season, and if he does. What's he going to look like after being off for more than a full calendar year? Um, I, I'm with you that I think this team has kind of peaked. I think they're a playoff team, but just like they were kind of last year, maybe one of those playoff teams, teams angled to face in the first round because they are so mediocre defensively. You got to be worried about DeRozan. You got to be worried about Vucevic. They've got some players, some shooters. Zach Levine can do some things, but I, they're not a team that scares anybody right now, even even after this this recent run of success. I just, you laid out the draft situation. That's kind of why I don't see any upside to to breaking things up. I don't see any upside to adding to it. Like, I, I don't think they should surrender future capital to add to this group. But it, it's kind of like ride it out this year, see what happens. You give up the draft pick. Uh, it, it's I don't know if, if getting... I don't know, future first for Caruso or, or whatever makes it worth what happens in giving up your pick this year. I, I just, I don't see the upside to it. I think they just kind of plow through well, this season and, you know, think about in the off season, think about what you want to do with this group. Yeah. I mean, it's tough because if you wanted to do the all out tank, the odds being what they are, there's still a decent chance that all right, you finish with a bottom four record and you lose in the lottery and you still lose the pick, like that's the worst possible outcome, right? To just completely bottom out and then have the pick become, uh, you know, the 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 fifth pick and you lose it anyway. It could happen. Um, but if you're fortunate enough to have the, the the lottery bounce your way and you end up with the top four pick and you keep the pick, you're in, you know, you're in, you're in pretty good shape. Um, but I, I just don't think you can spend too much time on that. I do think that... Um, the Bulls are in a position where they have players that other teams would value. To collectively, they're not getting you anywhere. But if the Lakers want to give you future picks or and whatever else for Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan, do it. 
If if somebody want you know if if the Nets want Vooch or or some other team with you know some need in, in the middle wants Vooch, do it. Whatever you can get for it. You you you're not building for this this present stretch anymore. Like this this team this Bulls team peaked last season, and DeRozan's up there in years and miles. Zach Levine's got his injury history. Vooch is who he is. It, it's it, it's it's a it's a it's okay. It's not anything better than that. If you want better than okay, you need to start uh, creatively reassembling this. And if those guys have value, again, as you said it earlier, it's a seller's market. There aren't enough teams right now selling. If somebody wants to give you real value for those players, I think you do it. It's so weird with Chicago where they're a big market team that in the last couple of years has has kind of weirdly acted like the Sacramento Kings. It's like they, they... they're, they built a team that gets into the playoffs, but even when they acquired Vucevic and went after DeRozan and signed Caruso, I didn't hear from anybody thinking they were putting together a championship-level team. It was a really good team, one that could be a top-five yeah. seed in the Eastern Conference, but not one with the kind of ceiling of, of some of the other teams. They were kind of, at best, a second-round team. And again, the Lonzo injury changed a lot of things. That, that, that killed them. But even with Lonzo, I, I just... They weren't great, and and that's not that's not what I usually see out of major market teams. They were I know they missed the playoffs a bunch of years in a row, but getting to the playoffs shouldn't be the goal. Building a team that can compete for championships yes. should be the goal. And I don't think the Bulls were ever they, on that path. They they just wanted to be relevant. That was a that was a move for relevancy. They were t- they were tired of missing the playoffs and tired of being irrelevant. They moved to be relevant. We have breaking news as we're recording this. Uh, Kevin Durant diagnosed with an isolated MCL sprain of the right knee. I don't think I've ever heard that phrase before. Isolated MCL sprain of the right knee. Uh, the injury occurred during the third quarter. Blah blah blah. Durant will be reevaluated in two weeks. So there you go. Kevin Durant is out for at least two weeks with a sprained MCL. Well, that's probably best possible scenario with that situation because that looked like. When Jimmy Butler went into his knee on Sunday, that was that didn't look good, that's for sure. And Durant's had that history of knee injuries, so two weeks is best-case scenario, I think, for Brooklyn. So that's good. And the knee, he tweaked it twice in that game. He went after the second yeah. one, but there were, there were two different incidents. And they, they both of them, if you watched, you were like, ooh, ooh, uh, yeah. that looks the, a little the, bit the second The second one had me thinking it, thinking tear. Uh, that, that, it's good that, that that's only, that it isn't just a sprain. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. <laughs> Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. 
Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game-changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, next team on my list as I continue on my sellers rants, uh, the Utah jazz. Um, I, I think this season has been everything Danny Ainge could have possibly wanted because the jazz start the year white hot. They give their fans something to get excited about. They give their fans something to engage in, in the first couple of months. They were the number one seed at one point in the Western conference, like a month into the season. And now over the last few weeks, They've sunk in the standings. They're kind of in that play-in mix at the moment um, with, I think, it being more likely than not that they wind up outside or 10th, 11th if they keep this group together. The the recent slump has given Danny, I think, license to just auction off this team for parts or for, for more draft picks. So I think now the Jazz can go to the market again, a seller's market, and say, give me your best offer for Kelly Olenek. Give me your best offer for Malik Beasley. Give me your best offer for Jordan Clarkson or Mike Conley if you want to take a run at Conley with that contract. Look, I I was having this discussion with somebody about the number of first-round picks that the Jazz come away with after the deadline. I'm going to put the odds at two and a half right now. Two and a half first round picks. I think it's possible to get to three if they get enough people interested um, because those pieces that the Jazz have, the Olenics, the Beasleys, the Clarksons, these are valuable guys. These are guys that, I because they can shoot, um, they can play roles. I think these are players that contending teams are going to be willing to surrender real draft capital, capital for. Um, and I think Danny's going to wind up with more first round picks as a result of this. And I think because of that, because you're moving talent, 
They'll sink further in the standings and give themselves a shot at getting Victor Wembayama, which is all Danny <laughs> wanted to begin with. All right, that's what he wanted from the start. He built this team like it was a nice story at the beginning of the season, but when you trade Rudy Gobert and you trade Donovan Mitchell, you are not building a winning team. You are not building a team to compete. They've got a good coach. They've got some pretty good young players. Lowry Marketing. I don't think he's... He's not somebody looking to trade right now. He could be a building block for this team in the future. But <clears throat> I think you're going to see at least an attempt at a fire sale in Utah and more draft first-round draft picks winding up in the coffers of Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck. It's just really funny the way this has evolved just in terms of our discussions and by our, not just you and me, I mean the, the NBA punditry community and fans, everybody else. Like, they trade away those two guys. Most of us look at that for what it is. You have traded your two best players for a batch of lesser players, younger players, draft picks, everything else. This is a rebuild. This is a teardown. This is happening at a year when Wembenyama is available in the draft. And there was this pushback like, no, 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 not trying to bottom out, not really tanking, going to be competitive, going to be a playoff team. Look at, look at, you know, some of these players actually are pretty good. Malik Beasley, these guys, you know, Larry Markinen, you know, breakthrough year in Cleveland, like... No, they're going to be competitive. They're going to be a playoff team. And there was. There was some pushback even from some people in, in the media saying, like, they're not trying to tank. And then they get off to the start that they did, and it kind of forced this at least momentary reevaluation. Like, well, if Markin is going to play like an all-NBA forward, if Mike Conley still got something in the tank, if Jordan Clarkson is going to play at this level, uh, if, you know, uh, Kelly Olynyk's playing at this level, if... Uh, you know, like they had all this, they were became, they were, they were doing the better than the sum of their parts ensemble cast kind of team. Like, Oh, maybe they'll have this surprising run. Well, lo and behold, they are where they are now. They're 20 and 23. They're two games out of the play in. They're going the wrong direction. And yes, they should be leaning into this to your point, Chris. Yes, they should be sellers. Yes. They should be doing exactly what we thought they were going to be doing before the season even began, which is lean into the rebuild, put yourself in the Wembenyama sweepstakes, Maybe it's not a full tank. Maybe it's not bottoming out. But they've built up enough. Like it's it's this is perfect for for Danny and Justin Zanuck. They can make it look like it was completely organic, and it kind of was. Like, well, we were competitive. We weren't. We didn't sell it off for parts. We didn't strip mine the whole thing. We gave them a chance to win, and when it looked like they weren't winning, then we decided to pivot. So they 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 can cover the whole time by not looking like they were ever uh, intending to tank from the start. But it it, it is the the logical thing to do now is to see what you can get for some of these players. Um, and yeah, listen, marketing has been a revelation. And if you want to uh, say that he is now part of the foundation of, of your, the rebuild, great. Hang on to him. Pretty much everybody else um, should probably be on the table. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think the one other, I, like, I don't think there's any untouchables in a situation like this. But, you know, if you, if there's a, like, the, the one other guy, like, Walker Kessler has been just enough of a revelation at center, like, is, do you want to keep him? But, like, uh, but he's everybody else cheap for the most contract, part. yeah. Like, you don't, you're yeah. not trading Walker Kessler. There's like, no, no point yeah. in So, that. so you're, yeah. But everybody else should pretty everybody much Everybody else. Available. This is Christmas in Danny Land, I'm telling you. This is exactly, <laughs> this is... This could not By the way, that was have the, that was the worst of, of all the claymation specials was uh, Christmas in Dannyland. Really, <sighs> just did not have the same sizzle as the Rudolph the Red Nose. Well, Ranger. he's waking up today in 
Utah or San Diego, wherever he is at the moment, on whatever golf course <laughs> he's doing, he's just like he's he's looking at this situation thinking this is great. I've got I've got I, I gate they gave their fans something that was a fun two months, but now things sure. have kind of come back to earth. They've got some building yep. blocks again. They've got a really good coach in Will Hardy, but they don't. They're not going to feel obligated because they're like competing for the five seed to keep this team together. And by the way, I don't think Danny would feel obligated exactly. either way because he doesn't he's going to do what he's going to do. But like this is kind of a perfect situation where you can get maybe a couple of first round picks at the trade deadline to add to your war chest and then put yourself in position to get the transformative star that you could never get in for agency. They could probably never really trade for and rebuild your team in that organic way. All right, give me your next team, Howard. Um I want to hit this one real quick because I want to give us more time for for the others that are on our list. But just real briefly, the Warriors um, haven't talked about them much recently, and it's interesting because they're they're you know they've won a bunch of games with Steph out. Steph is soon to return, it would seem. Um, he's back to four, five on five contact, and they've done a really nice job. And in that time, you know, you've seen. You know, Ty Jerome and Anthony Lamb become actual viable rotation guys, and Dante DiVincenzo and Jonathan Kuminga, most significantly. You know, you needed one of your young players at least to really start to pop. And so they've got this viable rotation now and a, and a bench group once Steph is back. And so maybe they feel the pressure is off, but I just kind of wanted to put a flag on the Warriors where it's like, I, you know, as I say with the with the Lakers, and I'm very consistent on this with all these teams. This is not just a Lakers and LeBron thing. You have Steph Curry. He's playing at an MVP level. Do everything you have to do in the present. It's not about the future. So, I've, and I've been saying this since before Kuminga and Wiseman and Moody were even players. They were just, when they were just picks, I thought the Warriors should have traded them for veteran help. I still believe that their best path is to be buyers um, by using some of their young players. I don't know what the Warriors will do, if anything, between now and the trade deadline. Maybe they feel like the pressure's off because they've got, I think, by net efficiency, the best starting five in the league when they're healthy. The bench has started to come around a little bit. Maybe they feel comfortable. Um, I don't know. And I don't know if there's, like, this is a really tough one. Like, what are Moody and Weissman, if you're keeping Kuminga, what are Moody and Weissman worth now on the market? I, I don't know. I just don't know. So it's easy for me to say. I get it. But if there's an opportunity to trade one of your young pieces for some veteran help because you've actually got a t an opportunity here to, to, to go back to the finals, to defend your championship, to... Uh, take advantage of another year where, as we talked about, the West is wide open. Um, I think you got to do it. So I just wanted to hit them real quick. We don't need to spend much time on that. Yeah, I agree with you. We've had this conversation about the Warriors a few times. Uh, I'm curious to see what Andre Iguodala looks like in the next month or so as he makes his return yeah. uh, to the rotation. He was a big part of their success in years past, but he's he's almost player coach at this point on, on this roster. So I don't know if you can count on him being anything more than that. But you know, whether it's packaging their young players, which I don't think is on the table, or trading one of them for uh, an established veteran, I agree. That's a team that we're at that halfway point of the season where you know they're still really good, and when Steph gets back, they'll be even better, but they still need something, and we've talked about that. Still need some part of their rotation to be beefed up like it's been in years past with a, a veteran player. All right, the team I want to jump to next is Memphis. You know, Memphis has done an, an admirable job of building a really competitive young team. You know, they draft well, they trade well, 
Uh, they've got the young superstar in John Morant. They've got the really good second guy in Jaron Jackson Jr. They've been building something sustainable in Memphis. I like that. But this feels like a year that they should look to take a swing. Now, there might not be a big swing out there. Like, you know, Bradley Beal, is he available? Is he not available? Who knows? I don't know if that's an option for them. Zach Levine, same thing. But this feels like the year where Memphis should dig into its draft uh, war chest and ship out one of their many young players to get somebody back that can help them win right now. And every time I talk to executives about this, I always say that's not what Memphis does. That they're just they're more focused on building things internally than adding pieces externally. But Howard, as we record this, they're the number two team in the Western Conference. Like they've got John Morant, they've got some really high level defenders, Dylan Brooks among them. Um, they're a contender, a legitimate contender right now at this point of the season. So whether it's somebody like OG Ananobi who's been connected to them over the last. A uh, couple of weeks or months, uh, or somebody like Miles Turner, who they could get interested in to to kind of supplement their their front court. This feels like the year Memphis should should get it going here to to maybe take a swing here because I, I know we like to talk about all oh, the windows wide open for for Memphis. They can be a contender for three, four, five, six years. You and I know that's not always the case, right? Like you know things change whether it's in your team or the teams around you. Um, this feels like an opportunity for the Grizzlies who have. Enough talent and enough experience with that talent to be a second-round threat, a conference finals threat. But if you can add one more piece, you might make yourself a championship threat uh, in Memphis. I mean, they might already be anyway, um, or at least a threat to get to the finals this season. Like, they could be there as soon as this season. I believe that. Um, And then maybe it's more just... I think they're counting on internal growth, right? You're saying we have a bunch of really good young players. Um, John Morant already flirts with, you know, MVP candidacy. Jaron Jackson Jr. went healthy, elite shot blocker, um, can do some things on, on the offensive side as well. Great defender, perennial defensive player of the year candidate. Desmond Bain, out of nowhere, you know, you know, now going to be perennial all-star uh, discussion. Um Dylan Brooks, like you've got all these guys that you discovered, you drafted, you acquired, you developed, but they're all going to get really expensive at some point anyway. Like they're going to have some tough issues with the tax in years to come potentially. So they have to think about that as they're doing this too. Like what's our core? Who are we paying? And who can we add in the meantime to bolster them? Um, And the one thing about young, talented teams is you think, well, our guys are young. We got a window. We don't have to be all in right now. We've got the next five years or what it never works that way because stuff happens. Contracts happen and injuries happen and just stuff. And so you never have as big a window as you, as you think you will, even with a young team that's still growing together. So I agree on in principle. I don't know what the move is exactly because I really like their young core. Um, they do have to work with here, all their own first round picks. They have a future first from the Warriors, I think that's from the when they were offloading Iguodala uh, a couple of years back. So they have the Warriors' first-round pick in 2024, uh, protected one through four. Um, they've got some extra seconds. They have stuff they can work with to package with, you know, a player. Um, I just, you know, when I think about who they should go and get. I like, Anano- sure. I like Ananobi a lot. I know you're going to get into Toronto 
next. No, he be, I, I like Ananobi yeah. a lot. I, I think that's you know yeah. two way player can do a lot of different things. He fits into what the Grizzlies want to do. And as you kind of project out for the playoffs, um, you need those defensive minded wings. You need them. True. And Ananobi is that type of guy. And they've got Brooks and Bain. Um, and they've got Jaron Jackson Jr. on that back line who also can obviously guard on the perimeter a bit. Like you've you've got a really great defensive core anyway. Are you giving up Dylan Brooks in a deal for Ananobi? Um, maybe, and maybe that's fine. But Dylan Brooks is like I think see, he's see a if lot they'll of take who, uh, see if they'll take Marshawn Brooks. See if that. Uh, oh, <laughs> see if we can pull that <laughs> one again. <laughs> oh man, I'd forgotten about that whole saga. I did. Um, that's a that's a good pull. Um, I'm sure there are other configurations. If you could keep your core together and somehow still add Ananobi, I mean that's phenomenal. Yeah, look, you there's there's no two no such thing in today's NBA as too many guys who are long rangy wing defenders who could guard multiple positions and hit the occasional open three. Um, he'd be a phenomenal pickup. I'm not sure what the deal is to get you there that appeals to the Raptors, but I don't I don't disagree with the target. I there's look, you've got the Danny Green contract that you got to try to move, right? You, you got to sure. use that. I mean, I, I love Danny Green. I don't know if he's going to be able to come back and contribute to this team. He's more valuable to them as an expiring he, contract. He did say on this podcast a few months ago when I had him on, like, I'm, I'm going to come back ahead of schedule. I'm going to play this season. I um, love the optimism. I love the optimism. And everybody loves yeah. Danny Green. He contributes to winning. Don't get me wrong. But yes. coming off that injury at this stage, we're into January right yeah. now. It's it's a, you, you got to be a, a, a true believer of Danny Green to make that happen. But you look up and down. Is the, Danny Green... Is Danny Green plus plus like the Warriors' future pick, or maybe you know plus another? Like how many? How much more does Masai Ujiri need to part with OG Ananobi? And is he getting better offers than that? I don't know. He probably will get some pretty good offers for that. But if you're like you look up and down that Grizzlies roster, like would you throw Xavier Tillman into that mix? Probably. Yeah, yeah. You're not. I mean, do you do you deal Tyus Jones at this point? Probably not. He's he's good for them. But yeah, that'd be tough. That'd be tough. But like you got some guys there. You got Zaire Williams. You got. I mean, you've. You got some players on that roster that are good, but to get a good player, you have to give up something. You have to give up stuff. And Ananobi's not some yeah. like thirty-year-old that you're worried yeah. about. You know, not being able to grow with this yeah. team. He's in his what mid twenties. Like he's, he's well. This is this is the good news for for the Grizzlies. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. This is the good news for the Grizzlies. If you think about like all these like really solid role player types who are still young with some upside, like the Santi Aldamas, twenty-five, Brandon yeah. Clark's. Yeah, these guys are are young. And have shown they can play at, at, at like Aldama, like like when they were hurt earlier this season with uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. out and everything. Like he, we were getting quality minutes from him. Conchar, like they've got a bunch of guys who are just really good, solid players. Um, you know, does a couple of guys with who are just good, solid rotation guys plus some picks get you to, to Ananobi? I, I I don't know. I don't know how. Again, like these are the things that we can't possibly determine without being in the room when these trade discussions happen, but they do have a lot of interesting players and that helps. And they've, they've got the kind of depth where if you give up a couple of those guys, if you're doing two or three for one, they're fine. I, I do think Howard, I do think you don't, if you're Memphis, you, you don't want to be clinging to your draft picks at this point, because unless something catastrophic happens over the next couple of years, your draft picks are going to be in the twenties and there's value in them. Don't get me wrong, but like, You've got a team that, as you point out, is going to get expensive. We're going to have to start paying guys in the next couple of years. I don't know if there's a need to keep 
drafting, when you, if you have an opportunity to do like even two first-round picks, one of them being protected to get a guy like Ananobi out, I don't know if I would immediately shut the door on a trade like that. Let, let me just push back and do the the very boring uh, stance of keep your keep your picks um, version of this because keep your picks means no trade and we love trades. Um, the Grizzlies are really great at the draft. They are. They might be the best team in the NBA right now at drafting mm-hmm. and especially drafting and, and, and get finding value at various points in the draft. The Raptors have had that reputation for years too. The difference between being a team that says, "Well, let's just we've got." We've got the requisite talent now. We can give up future picks to bolster that talent because we don't need them. Those picks are actually more valuable when they belong to the Grizzlies or, say, the Raptors than a lot of other teams because of how good they are at the draft. And the second piece of that is, as this team becomes more expensive because your young guys who you did a great job of drafting and developing become max players or near-max players— what you do is, it, and it's kind of that Sam Presti model in, in Oklahoma, where sometimes you have to give up some of the high-end talent because they now cost too much, but you have the confidence in being able to draft the players who replace them um, because you like having draft picks means having cost-controlled young talent. And if you can find all-star level talents at various points in the draft, you, that also helps you manage your payroll. So there's another element to it there. But yes, I mean, on, broadly speaking, I, I agree with you that bolster the talent you've got, make that run at the finals. But there is, when you're talking about like your long-term or shorter long-term viability with regard to payroll, luxury tax, having cost-controlled talent, having those picks can really help, especially when you're as good at the draft as they are. All right, I know you want to talk about Toronto, so give me your case for the Raptors being uh, proactive. Yeah, we'll finish on on the Raptors. I mean, we've 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 touched them a couple times, and they've been hovering and been flittering in and out of this discussion since the season started. But at the beginning of the year, you you figured even if they're going to move somebody, it's because it's it's in a buy move. It's a, it's a you know even even an Ananobi trade in November would have we would have thought it was to move up to something bigger and better. It wouldn't have been a a we're 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 tearing down um, or pivoting, but. I mean, Zach Lowe and I talked about this a lot on the on the the, uh, the pod last week about like our, the 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 our biggest what was it, like just biggest miss of the preseason, thinking the Raptors were going to be like a top six team, and I still don't know exactly what's going on there. I'm not sure anybody does. I'm not sure the Raptors do, but something is off. Um, and it certainly you feels like that? as we did sit you here, catch that uh, little altercation between Thad Young and Scotty Barnes the other night? I did not. It was like I think it was halftime. Of that game when they had to be separated during warmups, like you know, there's during warmups, yeah, during uh, on court and warmups before the game, like it, they had a little. I don't altercation might be too strong. There was never any, but they had to be separated by by a couple of players uh, during warmups. There seems to be a bit of a divide there between some of the young players and the veterans on the roster. Well, and I've said this before, and you know, bottom line is if you if a talent if a, if a team has a lot of talent and is underachieving. There's only a couple different possibilities. One is like there's some injuries that we just don't know about yet. Or two, chemistry. It's almost always chemistry. If you have mm. talent and you're losing, there's a chemistry problem. Well, so, they're weird though. Something- like Scott, like Barnes has not, like, you know, Barnes was rightfully so looked at as this rising star and probably still is, but he hasn't made that leap this year. You, you look up, no. I mean, there, there's obvious reasons for why they're kind of in this position. It's just but, unexpected. Right. I mean, that happens, right? Like it, it happens sometimes, you know, the, whether you're rookie of the year or one of the best rookies and you get to your second year now, expectations are through the roof. You don't, it's not always, you know, a, a steady climb. Um, maybe the leap comes in, in year three. He's still got stardom, I think, written on him. And I'm sure the Raptors think so. But 
whether it's Van Vliet or Ananobi or Gary Trent Jr., you've got players who you could move off of. I, like, I don't think you're moving Pascal Siakam. Um, I think he's still a guy. He and, and Barnes are the guys that, that are your core. It, it doesn't have to be a teardown for the Raptors, but it already looks like they're missing the playoffs this season. And if that's the case and you have a, a chance to retool on the fly, um, you know, the, the fact is like the Raptors are a team that since we don't know what, what Scotty Barnes will eventually be. And since Siakam, while a, a perennial now uh, all NBA caliber player, he's not enough. Like he needs to be probably your second best player or you need a bunch of guys at his level. So do they have a, do they have a path back to title contention with Siakam and whatever Scotty Barnes evolves into and the rest of this group? And if not, then you're still looking for the guy. So getting extra picks or making two for one deals, whatever it's going to be, it does feel like they're, they're in an inflection point here. Um, and in an unexpected one, I really thought they were, they were going to take another step forward and be in the, in the top six mix this season. Um, that's a really smart front office. They manage the resources well. And I, I'd be, I'd be shocked if they didn't find some way to, I don't think, I don't expect a tear down by any stretch, but a, a move or two on the fly here between now and the trade deadline. I could see. I think Memphis and Toronto need to start making some phone calls to each other. Cause there's, I think there's a pathway to a deal there involving Ananobi and first round draft picks that makes both these teams better short-term Memphis, long-term Toronto. That just my two cents on that one. Uh, Howard uh, enjoyed the latest shins album. Do they have new albums coming out? Is that, <laughs> is that a thing? I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't think anything is in the works at the moment. Uh, the last, so I wore this shirt once to a Celtics practice several years ago in Boston and your boy, Mike Zarin saw it kind of scoffed in a similar way, although he knew who the shins were. And he says, yeah, they're not as good as metric, <laughs> which is another band that you don't know. Not so even this, a clue. This, this conversation clue. means nothing to you. Uh, Zarin, you're wrong. I love metric by the way. It's a great band, but of those mid two thousands bands that broke out during that same period of time, uh, the, the, the shins win that Wow, one. my eyes just glazed over in the last 10 seconds of this <laughs> podcast. Howard, we will do it again next week. <laughs> Always a pleasure, my friend. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.